The following podcast is brought to you by the Jonas Podcasting Network, found exclusively at wrestlingwithjonas.com. I'm intrigued to know. So, so you've left Butlins. You're no longer a red coat working um, on a on a regular basis for All Star and Brian Dixon. What what was your schedule like back then? Because I know them being one of the biggest uh, touring brands uh, of, of the UK um, of British wrestling hi- history. The probably the biggest touring brand. Uh, but what was your schedule like back then? Certainly in wrestling. Um, I was quite lucky being a southerner because at those times, a lot of the cars came from the north. So you had the northern car or a couple of northern cars arrived and then a few of us uh, southerners. But we, yeah, we used to have a, a date sheet um, where Brian would put all the dates that he wanted you to do on them. Um, so you can imagine some of the big stars of the time that were very much in demand. You have Marty Jones and yeah. all the ball rockers and I had a, a very full date sheet. Mine wasn't quite as long as that, but you would. You'd look down it. Um, and if you're lucky, they were all down the south. So we, I could, Brian very rarely sent me any further north than the Midlands. So I, I wouldn't do Skegness or Newcastle or any. I was up to about the Midlands, up to Wolverhampton. Um, so you will see there would be a Croydon and a, a Guildford and maybe a Norwich um, on there. But yeah, occasionally. And you, you, know, you, you had the chance if you, if you couldn't make it, you could tell him that you, you, know, you pull out. But I always used to get Plymouth and Portsmouth mixed up. And when I saw Portsmouth, I go, well, that's fine. Oh, no, hang on. It says Plymouth. So that was a long way to go. <laughs> but yeah, we, I was lucky because being an MC, I wasn't as vital as, as the wrestlers that people saw on posters. Um, so I, I got the Southern shows, which were quite handy. Um, and again, again, we had a Northern car come. So it was, it, it was all right. It wasn't, it wasn't too manic, but yeah, the days of the, uh, of the date sheet, uh, fondly remembered. Absolutely. And when I think of <coughs> Lee Bamber, I think of uh, Lee Bamber, the, the MC, Lee Bamber, the ring announcer. And of course, you uh, are, are a very skilled referee. So you, you learned the skills uh, as, a, as, as a young boy watching World of Sport on the TV and then uh, kind of actually uh, did refereeing duties uh, when you became a blue coat and so on. But uh, what sort of ratio, what sort of split between doing MCing and refereeing would you experience on a, on a regular basis? Because uh, I, I, I automatically put two and two together and came up with Lee Bamber, the ring announcer, but uh, being a referee as well, did you do that regularly? Um, I, I mean, when I was younger, as we said earlier, I, wa- I wanted to be uh, a referee. That was of the course. thing I wanted to be. I wasn't so much um, bothered about the, the MCing side. Um, but Brian, in those days, again, just taking over from Dal Martin, there were quite a few referees around, but there weren't that many MCs um, that, that did it regularly. As we mentioned, John Harris and people like Gordon Pryor, mm. who's... I'm still in touch with now and you'll, you'll see a lot of Gordon's uh, matches on, on world of sport. Um, and, and Paul Chalmers was another one from that era, but there weren't that many. And I think because I'd done radio um, as a DJ and stuff, I think Brian sort of saw me more as an MC and that kind of just evolved. Whereas being a referee, is, you know, is, is what I wanted to do. I think the, the split was probably, I do about eight MCing jobs to every refereeing job. Um, right. 
back in. And that that was the, but I, that was quite good because say at the beginning I I got to work with some of the refereeing heroes of mine as well because a lot of them worked for Dale Martin, and and then stopped. But one or two came over uh, and, and worked for Brian as well. I mean, I'm thinking of people like Peter Zakash. Um, he was great fun. Um, the brother of Tibor Zakash, who was a, a legendary wrestler of the 60s and 70s. Um, and he was a very good referee, so he was one of, one of my favourites. Um, and I got to travel with him. He was a nightmare, though, <laughs> Peter, because he would <laughs> he was Hungarian, he came from Budapest. Um, and he would call everyone darling in that Hungarian tone of his. And he's a nice tough guy and great fun. He'd go, hello, darling, how are you? And that was lovely. But I tra- when I was new and I was brand new to the, the business, and we I'd gone up to... Uh, Norwich at the Saturday night at the, at the Corn Exchange, which is probably one of the dodgiest venues you could possibly do. In my dodgy car, and I noticed my light, my uh, yeah, one of the lights wasn't working. Um, and Brian said, "Can you give Peter a lift back?" Now I, I lived um, at a place called Subbury Hill, which is near with near Harrow, around that way. Uh, now having to give Peter a lift back means going through London and down just outside Brixton. That's where he lived. So I've got this dodgy car. I've got Peter on the car. We go into Brixton. By then, on a Saturday night, it's about one o'clock in the morning with a light that doesn't work. So I got pulled over by the police. And I'm being very... To them, they're expecting some sort of trouble or whatever. I don't know, one o'clock in the morning in the middle of London. Um, So we got the usual, you know, where where have you been? Where where do you come from? And they were quite shocked when I said Norwich. Why have you been to Norwich? Uh, Well, we did wrestling. So, well, who are you then? So, well, I, I'm the MC. This is, um, so I'm just a bit, you know, being polite like what I am. And then Peter pipes up, doesn't he? And and he says, "Can I swear?" By the way, yes, go ahead. Like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> he he said, "Oh, for God's sake, why don't you go and catch proper criminal for fuck's sake?" And Peter, <laughs> no, you go catch proper criminal this time of night. It's uh, we we just travel. You bugger off. <laughs> So he's telling policemen to bugger off, and I'm I'm only about twenty or eighteen in this knackered old car. Um, and I just about got away. So that, you know, it almost turns nasty, but I mean, luckily, luckily, I think the police, you know, accepted the story. Because it seems bizarre that we come from Norwich doing a wrestling show. But yes, I had to say, Peter, shh, quiet. <laughs> I had oh, to tell brilliant. one of my heroes to behave himself. So, yes, but that was that was good fun. I think you alluded to it earlier on, but let's talk about the TV deal then, because I believe um, when you started with All Star, they they didn't have TV at first. Um, And then uh, maybe a year or so later, I think it was 87, um, they they got the TV deal with ITV and with World of Sports. Uh, Now, does that sound about right to you? Yes, that's right. Yes, it was. Yeah. And so uh, I think the format had changed quite a bit, certainly over the previous year or two, because obviously wrestling had its four o'clock uh, segment time slot on World of Sport every Saturday. And I think by about 87, I think it was probably a show of its own. And I think it was being shuffled in the schedule on Saturdays or whatever day it would show. But uh, it wasn't quite the same as it used to be. Um, but how big of a deal was it to yourself and maybe Brian and All Star in general to have gained that TV deal back in '87? Because I think it was also shared, wasn't it? I think that joint promotions still had matches on there, and I think the American uh, product right. started coming over and being shown as well. So I think it was maybe a bit of a three-way share between All Star joint promotions and WWF at the time. Is that right? Mm, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it, it was a, a huge deal because up until then. 
um, joint promotion. So in the later years, yeah, Max Crabtree um, had that, that. That was that. That was the Saturday afternoon was promoted by them. There yeah. were still promotions around the country, but they were the only ones that got into 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 TV, made all the big stars, made all the stars on the poster. So they were guarding that, you know, with, with, with their life. And it was, as you say, things were were evolving. World of sport had finished. I mean, because some sometimes uh, people will say, oh, you know, you, you are a world of sport MC. Technically, I'm not, because I, I didn't do it until world of sport had finished. Uh, but you're right. Yeah, they, they moved it around the schedule. It was mm. always on a Saturday, but they took it away from the four o'clock and put it on at one or two or whatever. Um, but for someone else to be able to get a slice of that ITV contract oh, yeah. um, was, 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 you know, was, was big news. And, and Brian had done quite well with that because by then, I think joint promotion was seeing the, the beginning of the end. Uh, and all the big names that people had seen for the last eight, nine, ten years had come over to Brian anyway. So, you, you know, yeah. you had your, your Nagasaki's, your Rocco's, your Wayne Bridges, Johnny Saint, Steve Gray, um, Jimmy Brakes all the big names that were still synonymous of your ITV world of sport come over to Brian. Um, so Brian's shows from 87 onwards were better than the ones that joint promotions were putting on. And as you said, then we had the taster of the American stuff as well. So it was, yeah, it was an interesting time. Yeah, it was indeed. Yes. And I think that it was around that time when I would visit my, my nan, my, my grandma, every Saturday, we would watch uh, the world of sport wrestling uh, on Saturday afternoon. Um, I think probably back to when it was four o'clock and then I'd say it got shuffled around the schedule a little bit, but uh, that was around the time when I first encountered wrestling and, American wrestling as well, because that was uh, also slotted into that time slot on occasions. But uh, let's talk about some of the, the bigger stars that you were working with at the time. You mentioned that quite a few of these came over from Dale Martin or joint promotions to All Star uh, for a variety of reasons. But the likes of Johnny Saint, Rollable Rocco, Tony St. Clair, Fit Finley, Danny Boy Collins, Steve Regal, Kendo, of course, and so many more. Um, all of whom were household names, even by this point. Um, give us an idea of what it was like to be around some of these uh, icons of the sports nowadays, but uh, big stars back then. What was it like to be around them, um, and how were they towards you? Um, most, I mean, most of them were were okay because uh, obviously I wouldn't impose myself too much on them. But again, because um, I thought I'd learned from John Harris how to introduce them and I would, you would always say how do you want to be introduced you know they might have something they want particularly uh said um most of them were, weren't bothered in fact but you knew them anyway because but back then you know you could get in the ring and introduce uh jimmy brakes or someone uh that. They, they were they were fine i mean you think of going into a dressing room with someone like giant haystacks uh this you know this big guy but as he's wildly reported everyone knows in the wrestling business he, he really was a, a gentle giant softly was, spoken yeah. um you know a, a a lovely fella so they they they, they were they were okay they i think they 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 took they took me on okay they they, they didn't uh dave findley nicked my shoes when i first started just before i went on but that was more of an initiation ceremony for him. <laughs> i think he hid them in the cupboard um but no they they were, they were okay 
Awesome. And, and uh, you mentioned um, giant haystacks and uh, one or two other individuals. And uh, I remember seeing haystacks going back to the Oxford Town Hall back in the, the early 90s. And what a, a huge, imposing, intimidating figure. Um, and especially uh, sitting front row when he came by, uh, nearly fell backwards over, over my chair. I was uh, uh, that kind of in awe of the guy. But uh, I mean, Obviously, you started uh, off as a wrestling family. Um, were you kind of in awe of any of the guys that you were working around or maybe starstruck by any of the guys that you maybe grew up watching and then eventually had to work with? Um, were you in awe or in starstruck by any of these larger than life names? It was it was just it was just a, a, an honour to be in, in the same. And people say that now, wouldn't they? If you'd watched... Uh, the television or you've gone to see the shows and eventually if you're a young lad managed to wrestle someone you followed um that will be a, a big join for you for me it was to be able to uh work with to referee or to mc some of those great names that, that i'd grown up with i think the thing to do is not to be too in, in all of them otherwise you, mm. you'd muck it all up so you, you had a job to do as, as an announcer um, and you know the best thing you could possibly do is give them the best introduction that you possibly can um and and they they, they would be happy with but uh they, they had a job to do and they they, they got on with it and entertaining as a crowd they, they weren't uh they weren't too bothered about me i'd like to say I, I never got in the way i think that's one of the reasons uh, i've managed to survive so long and you can ask people like <laughs> James Mason or Joel Redmond or, or whatever is that um, I've, I've never got too involved with the uh, the politics or the arguments or the fallouts or, or any of that kind of stuff I just tend to I, I tend to get on with it and just do it absolutely absolutely and, and tell us about the the, the fans back in the uh, what I'm going to call is the, the golden era of British uh, professional wrestling because uh, um, a lot of people over romanticize you know British wrestling from the 70s and the 80s and these packed halls and the 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 loud kind of enthusiastic uh, fans but what was your experience especially being so close to the action being at ringside as an MC or occasionally in the ring as a referee uh, what was your experience of the of the fans uh, 38 to 40 years ago um, when they were packing out the halls uh, around the UK? Most of the fans were okay and you get the, the lively ones. And uh, I think the big change now is that there's a lot more youngsters that, that come to the wrestling. So you've got your, your teenagers and, and younger. Back then you had a, a real family mix and mm. a, a lot of the, the older people used to enjoy wrestling, but they, you know, they, and they would appreciate it. But occasionally at some venues they would get very excited. We mentioned earlier, and you ask anyone who's been around a long time, what was the most dodgy venue? And, and a lot would say Norwich, so the uh, the corner, the agricultural hall. It was on on a Saturday night, um, and that that was a quite a dangerous place. They got to the stage where they used to have security there to protect the wrestlers, um, which was like unheard of. Um, that could go off and get a bit a bit lively. And you can't show fear, um, especially, you know, you, if you're a referee, especially refereeing. I remember once I, I was refereeing and I disqualified someone, a crowd thought I shouldn't have disqualified. Um, <clears throat> so they're, they're after my blood now. And the match has ended and the wrestlers are making their way back to the ring. So I'm left alone in the ring. I've got to get out at some stage. <laughs> um, and and it's only me, you know. Uh, so I, I think, well, am I going to get out? So you hope they're going to calm down so you pretend to check a corner pad and make sure the ropes are okay you just had living waiting for a chance to think i'll go now but i'll always remember and bless him um because everyone i just got back to the dress they weren't bothered 
but uh, Crusher Mason, um, Lindsay Mason's dad, um, who would wrestle as the mighty chain with a big, big, stocky guy, solid guy, um, but very agile for such a big fella. He suddenly realised the referee's still in there, isn't it? So he turned round, walked back, and he was a villain then as well. Um, he, he walked back and he just gave me a look, which basically said, you know, he, he just gave me a look, which basically said, okay, come out now. So I sort of came out, dropped out. He pretended to argue with me because we were disqualified. And all that. But what he was doing as he was waking, making his way back to the dressing room, he was protecting me to get out of this melee that could be possibly going off at any minute now. So he just needed a look, but we could read each other and he went, jump down now. So, and then, yeah, we got back to the dressing room safely. But yeah, I, I would have been, I would have been, uh, well, killed probably if that, but yes, acknowledged was, was, was one. Yeah. You might still have been in the ring now, Lee, if it weren't for him. I might still have been, yeah. <laughs> we were at Walthamstow one night and we had someone jump in the ring um, <clears throat> during a, a Kendo Nagasaki match, which you must never do. Um, no. He was quickly dispatched straight out the other end. And again, I was refereeing that. Um, and I, yeah, I always remember about five minutes later, I'm carrying on refereeing. And all of a sudden, a couple of police officers arrive at ringside. And again, it was John Harris that was emceeing, and I couldn't quite hear him refereeing in the ring, but I could just hear John suddenly say, well, I can't stop the match midway through. We have to wait till afterwards. So I thought, oh, God, we've got to go and see the police now. Um, and we did. The, the police station was right next door. Uh, and we, uh, yeah, so we all had to go to the police station and uh, give them a statement afterwards about this guy that jumped in the ring. Um, oh, how fascinating. He, he jumped, apparently he jumped in the ring because he, he didn't like, what Nagasaki stood for. He, he thought it was uh, cultish and devil yeah. worshipping and, and and he didn't like that. So, but yeah, but, no, I, Nagasaki just got rid of him. But I thought it was bad enough with... Like, I thought it was bad enough with the old women with the walking sticks and the the, the handbags, um, but uh, yeah, don't get in, don't get in the ring and uh, and uh, kind of confront Kendo Nagasaki. That's the last thing you want to do. But um, I mean, around that time period, we mentioned it briefly a moment ago. But uh, World of Sport, I think, ended in eighty eight, didn't it? And I, I think there was the British scene was almost overtaken by the American product in the late eighties and early nineties. And I think where you had the, the British boom period in the early to mid eighties, I think the UK was experiencing another boom period. And that was WWF coming around, coming over in the late eighties, early nineties. And I remember it coming over to the Royal Albert Hall in 91. And of course you had SummerSlam in 92 at Wembley stadium. And I was at that, but uh, was there a, a noticeable difference in the business? A, a, a no drop off in the business the uk wrestling scene because of the american product almost taking over um it did yeah for a while we we promoted it still as uh, come and see the stars that you now no longer can see on tv so that worked mm. for about a year um that's when we did a also again it was brian being a very good businessman because we couldn't see the stars on tv brian had an idea to okay well we'll we'll, we'll do a video then we'll make a video of it uh, which we did at, at croydon um that was available in the shop so this is like the tv show you can't see on tv with all your stars that you can buy as a video um <clears throat> following on from that when it did start to go down a little bit because the beauty of having it on the telly um is that you could do storylines you could have a a storyline of I don't know, Mick McManus versus Jackie Pallow, if you want to go back that far. 
um, <clears throat> and then you know bring it to bring it to the halls. You know the the return match, the big battle, Palo versus McManus. And all, without the TV to do that, you were still trading on the memories, if you like, for a few years. Yeah. But then, yeah, but then Brian had an idea because Brian did, um, and for a while then we would do American tribute shows. Um, so we'd still have the stars that we had, but we would then bill as, you know, come and see Mankind versus Kane, um, or very similar, you know. Or The Undertaker and The Legion of Doom, I think they were doing the rounds. The, Legion, that's right. the yeah, British Legend version. Of the Legion of Doom. The Legend of Doom, sorry. Yeah, The Legend of yeah. Doom. Yeah. <laughs> South and, you know, the big shoulder pads and all that. So we, that's right. we ran with that for, for a while. And yeah, we had uh, Undertaker. So, Brian had that, and then it did go a bit quiet, but eventually it seemed to kick back a bit. It went peaks and troughs, but yeah, those late eighties, early nineties were interesting times, but mm. worrying times, especially if you are, you know, you got to the stage where All Star had they got the slice of the TV and all the names and all that, um, and then it and then it just went. But then after that, for, well, for, in, until we were relatively recently, um, Brian would bring over some of the genuine stars so you know start from the attitude era and, and other big names that because sometimes i i mean again i hadn't followed it that closely uh so i'll be working with these guys that were big um <clears throat> but i didn't know who they were necessarily until i worked with them and then then i found out about them and thought oh yes you know we we had uh we had the earthquake john tenter he was a lovely guy we the yokozuna Mm. Batu, um, I've got Gangrel comes over quite a That's lot. Right. Gangrel was a regular, wasn't he? Still is, I believe, yeah. coming over to the UK. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we did have some of the, yeah, some of the big stars coming over as well. So that was great. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, let me ask you: I mean, you had uh, the, the the best seat in the house, um, certainly as a, as a ring announcer. What what are some of your memorable matches or moments uh, that you'll fondly remember? Certainly from them golden years, then Lee. I think <clears throat> I think from the golden era, any match that involved or any matches that involved uh, Marty Jones and Mark Rocco, um, I think would would be up there. Um, yes, you had you know Johnny Saint, who was one of the classiest wrestlers you could get. Um, a wrestler, I don't, I I think it was still underrated. Um, from that era, because you know, you talk about great lightweight stars, and then you think of Johnny Saint, and then you think of Steve Gray. Um, I like watching Vic Faulkner. Um, he he was he was brilliant because he had the skill of someone like Johnny Saint to get out of all these complex holes, but there was great comedic value with him as well. So I think someone like Vic Faulkner was uh, uh, very underrated. But I think yeah, if you're looking for matches that were ahead of their time, I think yeah, you put Mark Rocco with Marty Jones. In, in, in that sort of era, they, they were always uh, brilliant matches to watch. Absolutely. And speaking about matches that are ahead of their time, Lee, let's talk about uh, jackets that are ahead of their time and uh, some, some of your uh, incredible jackets that you would wear. Um, you're working for All Star back in the 80s and uh, uh, are very colourful, uh, very shiny. <laughs> Tell us about the jackets, some of the jackets that, that you wore on TV and at the shows up and down the country, because uh, they're just as memorable as anything else. <laughs> well, as as you mentioned earlier, the white one that I started with, that was mine, and I had that in, in Butlins. Um, so that was all right. And 
if you remember when we did the TVs back in those days, what they used to do is you do an evening of wrestling, about six matches or so, and they used to chop them in half. Um, so yes. you get one week, you get three matches, and then about three or four weeks later, you get the other half. Um, so the first one that uh, Brian gave me to do was in Dewsbury in Yorkshire. Um, so I could wear the white one for the first half, and I thought, well, I've got to wear something different in the second half. So I bought this black thing. I hired it from Moss Bros because I only had one suit. Um, so I wore that, and then Brian said, well, we're going to give you one more TV to do in Bedworth. Um, and I thought, well, okay. If, you, if he's giving me more work anyway, and I've got another TV to do, I, I want to get something that's a little bit different if I'm going to be doing this a, a bit more, if I'm lucky enough to do that. Uh, so, I, yeah, I went, in, I went into London. I went um, into a, a specialist uh, tailors. Can't buy them in the shops. Um, and so it was a, a made-to-measure uh, thing, and they, they made it in gold, and it was like a theatrical costumery place. Um, in the middle of uh, yeah, in the middle of Covent Garden sort of area, um, and they made it up. It's all made to measure. Um, you were mentioning earlier about you know being in the dressing room with with these legends. That was the time when I was nervous. When I suddenly, for the first time, with all these big your Tony Sinclairs and your Fit Finleys, and suddenly walked in with that on. Um, <laughs> It was par for the course, I suppose, because they wrestled in that era. But I suddenly thought, should I really be doing this <laughs> in the middle? But it was, yeah, the only bit of hate mail uh, I ever got was because of that jacket. We don't, no. we still don't really know who sent it. But I got a letter saying, um, well, we're glad wrestling's coming off the TV with people like you getting the ring, making a clown show of it all. So... <laughs> So someone didn't wear that jacket. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I wanted to, something I found utterly fascinating in my in my research, Lee, and that uh, uh, you also appeared as a guest on a very well known, a very popular um, uh, TV show in the eighties called What's My Line, uh, hosted mm. by Angela Rippon. Um, now I, I've seen the segment that you were involved in. Uh, you know, there's a, a panel of uh, celebrities who would try to identify a person's profession. Uh, through a series of questions and simple yes or no answers. Uh, but uh, that looked like a lot of fun. And uh, like I say, it took the celebrities uh, several kind of attempts to try to figure out uh, exactly what your profession was. And of course, it was a wrestling referee is what you were down as uh, during What's My Line. Tell us about how did that opportunity arrive and tell us about the experience and uh, what it was like. Uh, tell us about the filming as well. It looked like a lot of fun. It was yes, it was it was a lovely a lovely day out. I mean, the producer of that uh, was a guy called Morris Leonard, who uh, also did a lot of the uh, Michael Barrymore stuff. So you can imagine the kind of my kind of people show that Barrymore did. It was it was that kind of fun uh, atmosphere. We did that at, uh, at Teddington Lockup Studio, which used to be the older Thames TV uh, studio. So we, yeah, we went down during the day. We had a little bite to eat and. and Sort of, it, it was genuine too. The, the celebrities were kept away. They genuinely didn't know uh, what what the job was. Um, so yeah, it did it did take a, a little bit of guessing, but it it was it was fun to do. Um, they, they guessed it in the end. The mime was checking the boots because you had to come on and do a little mime. First I was trying to figure out what the mime was, and I couldn't quite identify it until you just said. <laughs> yeah, that's what. Yes, yeah, yeah, checking the boots before we start. Yep, yeah, you're okay. You can go ahead, but. Yeah, you can still find it somewhere. Maybe I'll post it back on my Facebook page soon, so you can have a look if you want. But that was, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. I don't know. I think did I apply? Did they ask me? I can't remember how I did it. 
Um, but we, but I know they they were. I think they probably were looking for unusual professions uh, for the new series. And I think I think I probably wrote in and said, "Here's one," and they they quite liked it. So yeah, we went down and uh, and did it. Oh, very entertaining! It is. A, I did see it on your on your Facebook actually. So, uh, mm. but uh, repost it because it's definitely worth a watch for sure. Um, and you're also the the host uh, and the commentator on what I believe is the very first wrestling VHS cassette um, uh, available in the UK. And it was it uh, the Mick McManus World of Wrestling, and uh, mm. you, you was you, you played the role of, of the commentator. Um, so that's quite an honour to have been involved or be part of. Uh, the very first VHS wrestling tape available in the in the UK. That's right. Yes, that's that's lovely, isn't it? Because records yeah. can be you can be the fastest, the tallest, the or whatever. That like, someone else will come and take that from you, but they never can take a first, can they? So uh, yeah, again, that was Brian Dixon's and his, his brainwave. Just after the television was finishing, he thought, well, let's put out uh, a video then of, of people you know, that people can buy it and still see great British wrestling because it was done by the TV people. Um, so it was produced was a guy called Mike Archer, um, who did the last number of years on, on the ITV four o'clock and one o'clock, two o'clock shows uh, from there. So Brian got together with him to do another, basically another TV uh, show. Um, I don't know why they didn't ask Kent Walton to do that because it would have been a, a good move to say, well, here's an extra one with Kent Walton. I don't know why Kent didn't or wasn't asked or whatever, but mm. again, Brian asked me if if I if I do this. There's a big show from from Croydon, and again, that's on YouTube. The sounds a bit dodgy on it, but you can see it on YouTube. Um, some great matches, and there's a story behind that as well because I, I cost them a lot of money on on that thing. We had it all planned. It was at the Fairfield Hall in Croydon. And the plan was <clears throat> Mick McManus, Mick and I were, were going to be doing um, the commentary at ringside like he would. And about four days beforehand, I got this terrible throat infection uh, and I, I couldn't speak. And it got worse. The, like, the throat just kind of closed up. I couldn't eat. I could hardly drink. I was in quite a bad way. Um, <clears throat> so I drove down there. And if you if you watch the video, you see I don't actually speak at all. We do little shots in the commentary box and I suppose a bit of be a bit of two-way going on between Mick and myself yeah um but I couldn't speak so I just nod um and I yes yeah, so then I got back in the car drove back home and sort of crawled back into bed um and and recovered about a week later so I didn't see the show I wasn't there I only there for little cutaway scenes and we had to go down to um a recording studio in Shepherd's Bush about a month later and do it then so well, it was supposed then, to be yeah. live and we do it as live and i am reacting for the first time because i didn't see it on the night i wasn't there so all the reactions are all genuine but it's done as live but i wasn't live at all it was a month later we did that all because my my throat had gone and i couldn't i couldn't speak on the night so, how yeah. fascinating how fascinating what an incredible story and as i alluded to at the very top of this uh, this interview um now you hosted the the the, the british wrestling uh reunion for many years um but uh, i believe it was a couple of years ago in 2021 you were actually inducted into the, the the british wrestlers reunion hall of fame 2021 class which uh, and as i said at the very very top you are definitely worthy of being uh, called a legend and being a part of my legends masterclass series because you are of course a hall of famer so tell us about that that must have been a hell of a thrill for you 
It was, yeah, and and it, and it was totally unexpected. Well, I didn't know about that. I, I was lucky enough to be awarded one uh, a few years before then for services to wrestling, um, which was very nice. Thank you. But yeah, on that night, yeah, a Hall of Fame because the the names that were inducted into the Hall of Fame before then it really is a, a who's who hmm. of British wrestling, and and it, I mean, it was a big honour anyway, but a, a special honour because. At the time, um, there was only one other non-wrestler who'd ever been inducted into the Hall of Fame, and that was Kent Walton, uh, the, the commentator from Mind TV. So it was Kent Walton and me um, were the only two at the time non-wrestlers to be given that 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 award. So that was yeah, that was that was a that was a big honour. It's, uh, Pride a place on my wall at home. That one, that's very nice. Absolutely, many, many congratulations. Now we've spoken about him a few times already during the course of this interview, um, but let's talk a little bit more about Brian Dixon because um, it, ultimately he was the man responsible for giving you an opportunity in the British wrestling business. Um, and thirty-eight years later, like I say, we are here talking about your career. Um, thanks, um, you know, in, in no small terms to Brian Dixon, and obviously we we, we had the recent passing of, of the great man the legendary British promoter Brian Dixon um, a few months ago now in, in May recently had his funeral you were there but uh, what what does the the passing of, of Brian somebody that you worked with for so long and knew for so many years and a man that gave you so many opportunities what, what does the passing of Brian mean to you and, and what will you remember about Brian yeah, it's. I think as James Mason said on uh, on your podcast with him uh, mm. a few months ago, um, is a case of when you've worked with someone for so long. Um, James said, you know, if you cut me, I I, I bleed all star, um, and that's how I feel as well. I, when even when I work for other promoters, and it's you know it's nice when the phone rings, um, it's it's still Lee Bamber of All Star Promotions working for someone else that particular night. Yeah, Brian, we mentioned a few times how he was a great opportunity. He'd see, he'd see an idea, he'd try an idea. It wouldn't always work, uh, but he had that he had that vision. Um, and he he brought me into this as I say, he gave me the name Lee Bamber. We we will miss him. When I when I put on Facebook when when he passed on, I the nearest I can get to trying to explain it to people is that if you remember you know a couple of years ago when when the queen passed on mm. um for a while the country was a bit well we've always known the queen there's never been a time when the queen wasn't there it feels yeah. a bit strange and in the world of wrestling it, it was like that with you know with, with, with when brian wasn't there um he you know he cut back uh, due to ill health a little bit but he, he was still still keen still still promoting even from home, uh, you know, just a couple of months before he died, because his uh, grandson Joseph was basically running the shows for him then. Um, but we were at Epsom. Um, the phone, my phone rang about 15 minutes before it, the show started, and it was Brian on the phone saying, You know, is everyone there? Yeah, I've got a birthday to read out, do it after match number two, and uh, you know, make sure we make sure we you plug next show and all. Yes, Brian, you know, and that was just before he he passed on. So we'll always be grateful to him, uh, and I think British wrestling will always be grateful to him. I know uh, Joel Redmond's um, got a, a fantastic um, 
training school down in Salisbury. Um, and he's got some posters on the wall. And right at Pride Place, there's this big picture of Brian Dixon. And, and Joel says, if any of the trainees say, who is that guy? And, and he hopes they do, because then he can explain what Brian meant to the to everyone in, in wrestling uh, throughout the years. So, yeah, we, we will miss him. But his influence, especially on people that have been around in the business for a while, uh, will, will carry on for their career. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, my final question to you, Lee, is, uh, let's say, 38 years in the wrestling business, many more to come. But uh, what, what's been maybe the top one or two proudest moments of your uh, illustrious and legendary career so far? <laughs> so many. Um <clears throat> So I, obviously the the first job, the first proper show that I did uh, for All Star, that will be memorable. Um, mentioned earlier with the, the Knight family, give me the, the honour of presenting uh, the show at uh, their fight mayor at uh, Carrow Road, Norwich yeah. City's ground. That that was that was a big one. Um, <clears throat> memorable. I had I had wrestling at my wedding. Most people have a a, a disco or something like that I, I i had a wrestling show oh tell us about that we gotta hear <laughs> which, which the crowd obviously the venue had never had wrestling before so after we reassured them that their floor would be all right if we put carpet down uh, yeah. for the ring yeah we had a uh, two we had two matches um there's the dog we had two matches yeah, we had sorry about uh, that <laughs> Yeah, Doug Williams. Um, so yeah, Doug was at my wedding, so that that was great fun. Doug Williams against Flash Barker in one match, and then what was going to because a lot of people may not have seen wrestling before, at least not live. So we had to lighten it a bit. Uh, so what better combination than Steve Gray um, <clears throat> against Mal Sanders uh, in a custard pie match? That was you know, the loser gets a custard pie in the mush, uh, and I refereed it. And what was really lovely is that. The ring was nicely turned out anyway, and they put this big bouquet of flowers in the corner posts uh, with, with the flowers, like, draping across from the corner. So it, it actually looked, because you're thinking, is a wrestling ring going to look good at, at a wedding reception? But it did. It looked really lovely. So, yeah, but thanks to Peter Jane, the uh, the team, for that one. But, uh, yeah, oh. we, there, are, there are photos around of that as well. So fantastic, a wrestling fantastic. match at a wedding. But, well, yeah. uh, funny you should mention Mel because I've got Mel Sanders coming on as uh, my sixth guest for episode six of the Legends Masterclass in a, a couple of months' time. So uh, uh, make sure that you kind of catch that one. But uh, Lee Bamber, legendary ring announcer and referee, um, it's been wonderful speaking to you on episode five of uh, the Legends Masterclass. But uh, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for the wonderful stories. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you, John. Thank you. <laughs>